Hi, my name is Danielle and you're listening to Crime and Mystery Canada. On this podcast, we discuss subjects that might be creepy to some and sometimes even frightening. Some of our episodes will deal with serious subject matter, while others will be more lighthearted. Please keep in mind that I am not an expert on any of the topics I cover, just an interested party, and as always, listener discretion is advised. Hi everyone and welcome back. I'm Danielle and I'm Nadine and you're listening to Crime and Mystery Canada. On this week's episode we'll be talking about the death of Retea Parsons. There are many articles out there about this case as well as a documentary. I've based a lot of what I'll talk about tonight on just a few CBC articles as well as the documentary because I did find it pretty difficult to research this case and read about it, so I could only look at so much. I was familiar with the case even before I started. I got the most important facts out of it. Um, I may have missed some things, and like I said, I couldn't read all of the articles, but if you're interested in learning more, there is a lot more out there. This is one of the cases that I followed closely when it was unfolding back in 2011. Do you remember it happening? Yeah, I work in the school system and school was a big part of um, the case. And so it's tragic and sad and very difficult for me personally to talk about. We're going to do it anyway. I think today, more than ever, it's a subject that needs to be talked about. It needs to be addressed. To be transparent to everyone who's listening, I've actually been working on this episode for well over a month. I mean, we talked about it. I feel like it was maybe back in September, actually. I was going to say like the end of summer, early fall, yeah. And I kept setting it aside just because I couldn't get through it. It's something that's really triggering for me. Watching the documentary, reading the articles was difficult. What this young girl went through is just unfathomable. But as a society, we need to talk about these things. We can't ignore it. We need to talk about what happened to Retea and so many other young girls and women as well. It's not something that should keep happening. I'm going to do my best to talk about this without my voice getting strident and without shouting because I find that anytime I try to discuss this, my voice goes up and I end up yelling or crying or getting very mad but I'll do my best to try and keep an even voice. This case as well as others that we discuss can be triggering for a lot of people. Know your limits when you're listening. I will give some resources out at the end of the episode as well just in case someone needs to reach out. So if you stay tuned till the end there will be some information. You can also just fast forward to the end if you do need that information. On April 4th 2013, 17-year-old Retea attempted suicide by hanging herself in her home in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. She was found by her mother and CPR was done. Retea was rushed to the hospital and placed on life support. But then on April 7th, the decision was made to turn off the life support and Retea passed away. Anytime someone dies of suicide, we look at what happened that may have led to this tragedy and try to understand it. Sometimes it's not something that's obvious and we search for hints or clues to figure out what happened, did we miss something, but the trajectory that led to Retea's death can easily be traced. It can even be traced to this day through news articles that are out there. We failed her as a society. We failed Retea over and over again. In the documentary, No Place to Hide, 
Ritea's mother talks a little bit about who Ritea was. She was a smart young girl. She went into high school with straight A's. She volunteered for the SBCA and she rescued dogs. She loved animals and science. In 2011, she started high school in Coal Harbor, Nova Scotia. I don't know if this is typical of everywhere, but I know for us in the Maritimes anyway, you go to school in your community, but when you get to high school, it's a bigger school that funnels all the schools from around into one place. Yeah, so there would have been a feeder, what they call like many small feeder schools, and then she would have gone to a bigger high school. Exactly. Although in Coal Harbor, um, the high school is quite close to where I'm assuming like when you say Cole Harbor it's one specific sort of like suburb or borough of Dartmouth um so the high school wouldn't have been very far but there would have been lots of new kids lots of new students exactly so you go into a school there's some familiar faces but there are a lot of new people as well so for a lot of teenagers it's a time where their sort of friend group might start changing a little bit because you meet new people so you make new friends you might keep old ones so your clique might change a little bit in November of 2011, Ritea would have been 15 years old. Her parents had given her permission to go spend the night at a new friend's house. So they didn't know her very well, and her dad, her parents are separated, but by the sound of it, it sounds like her dad dropped her off, and he asked her, like, is this the type of friend who's going to take care of you if something happens? And she said, yeah, absolutely, like, it's my friend. So he dropped her off. I mean, I think it's a, it's a, it's a normal part of growing up too, right? And again, like you said, starting high school, making new friends, having new interests. So as a parent, I could like I would see that being not very concerning. No, Especially okay. if you're saying I'm going to a, a, a friend who's, you know, a not a boyfriend or not a girlfriend, right? Like just a, a friend. Then yeah. I would have been like, yeah, of course. Like that's fine. It was her friend who was a girl. She said that, you know, she'd be safe. It was just a typical night for the parents. Like she's sleeping over at a friend's house like a thing that happens every day. So much of what happened that night was just typical. That was up till the point where it really wasn't. So Ritea and her friend decided to head over to another boy's house that they knew to hang out. Her parents didn't know she was going to the second location, but how many of us as teenagers told our parents we were going to one place when we were, we were going somewhere else or kind of forgot to tell our parents about other people that would be there we've all done it no of course I mean I think that's a completely normal thing to be doing at 15 when they got to this other house there were four boys there in total Ritea started drinking vodka I don't know if this was her first time drinking but at 15 you don't really know your limits it's usually I think like a pretty typical age where kids have their first drinks you don't really know your limits. You don't really know how you'll react to alcohol. Like vodka is just a clear liquid, right? So you might, if you don't know any better, you might just drink it like it was water. Yeah, and you might not understand how um, hard liquor has such a delayed impact, I find. Like you, you're drinking it and all of a sudden you're, you're feeling like you're, fine. you're fine and all of a sudden it sort of hits you yeah. really hard, really fast. Yeah. And again normal sort of coming of age thing to be doing at 15 um when you said she was arriving and there was four other boys it was just her and her her, her friend. other friends it was just two, the two girls and then these four boys. four other boys okay Ritea got intoxicated she woke up the next morning with hazy memories from the night before and she was sleeping between two of the boys from they refer to it as the party but there, there were six of them so she was sleeping between two of the boys that were there the night before 
She got up and she headed home. So later, her mother found her crying, curled up on the floor. She had vague memories of the boys taking her upstairs, so like basically carrying her upstairs and taking turns on top of her. She remembers hitting her head and throwing up and remembers hearing someone say, take a picture. I can only imagine how traumatizing these like flashes of memories would have been. I don't know if you've ever been blackout drunk. Unfortunately, yes. Same for me. Very unfortunately, I do not wish that on anyone ever. And even if the night went completely fine, that you were with someone you trusted and they told they tell you, you know, everything was fine, it's still a very unsettling feeling. It's terrifying. As a woman especially, it's terrifying of knowing that you had a complete loss of control. That was my first thought was, I will never let this happen again because I... I had no control. I don't remember what happened. I had to rely on... I was very fortunate to be with good people and good friends who I was also 15 at the time and called my parents who did the right thing. I got in so much trouble, but it was the absolute right thing to do. Um, Yeah, it's terrifying. I also think she's incredibly brave to have told her mom to talk to a parent. One that speaks to the... Obviously, the, the... close relationship and trusting relationship that she had with her mom but that's brave the next tuesday when she went to school people were talking about her calling her names and saying that she slept with four guys and i have a point to make here so this is the first time i'm going to try not to scream this if a woman consensually has sex with more than one partner and everyone agrees and everyone is safe You don't call her names. This is her choice. It's her body. It's her decision. She should be able to do what she wants with it. And if everyone's okay that it's happening with, society has no right to judge her. That is the definition of slut-shaming. Yep. And the guys in the situation are not shamed. They're not judged. They're not bullied and embarrassed of the situation. Like it is only the female in this situation that... I'm also going to get really angry if I keep talking about it. Now, that being said, if a woman is so drunk that she needs to be carried and she's throwing up, she is not able to consent. Even if 10 minutes before she said yes, if all of a sudden the alcohol, the drugs, the whatever it is hit her and she's at that kind of state, there's no consent. That's not consent. When you are when you don't have the faculties to consent to something, that is no longer consensual. You do not have the ability to consent. Yeah. It does not matter if the other person involved was also drunk. It doesn't matter if the person said yes before they got drunk. It doesn't and- matter if they're in the middle of the act and suddenly the person's state of being changes. It needs to stop. Immediately. What happened... To Retea was rape. She deserved empathy. She deserved support and understanding from everyone. She didn't get any of this. As things tend to do in high schools, the word of what happened spread around like wildfire, as did a photo showing Retea being sick out of a window while a male was assaulting her. He posed for the photo, giving thumbs up. So not only... Did she need empathy and support and 
therapy or whatever she might need, those young men, I'm sorry, at the age that they are, they're not boys, they're young men, also are need to be held responsible for their actions. That is rape culture. That's where that comes from. That's mm-hmm. where that that untouchable feeling is put into young men. And that's terrifying. Terrifying to me as someone who is a woman and terrifying as someone who's raising a daughter. I just, it's, to me, it's a whole other step to document it willingly. And show it to people. And show it to people. That just shows, that to me says, you don't even think it's wrong. You don't don't know what you've done. You don't know how terrible it is. That is just a whole other level for me. It was circulated. It was sent to other people by the boys that were involved in these acts. They were openly talking about this. So that photo was everywhere. Ritea could not get away from it. The local paper wrote a story about it. She ended up leaving school. Her parents took her to the police station where she gave a two-hour-long statement about the events that transpired on that night. A short while later, her parents received a call from the police telling them that she'd given the statement to the wrong officer. This officer was not authorized to take a statement, so Ritea had to go back in and do this all over again with a different officer. No. According to her parents in the documentary, the second statement took about 10 hours. Please remember, Ritea was 15 years old. That is re-victimizing her. Every piece of research shows that that is the wrong way to do it. You're even supposed to withhold asking for the statement till you know that you're going to be able to do it once, fully, thoroughly, in a safe, empathetic way for the victim. Her parents and she herself had no way of knowing they were talking to the wrong officer. How did the officer not know he was the wrong person to be talked to? Yeah. Procedurally, what? How did he or she not know? Yeah. Like how? How? The police, even if she gave her statement to the wrong person, they still compared both statements. In the second one, she says that she remembers saying no when the boys were assaulting her. Because she didn't say this in the first statement, though, the police come to the conclusion that she must have made that up. This is the second time I'm going to try not to start screaming. Ritea was blackout drunk, but regardless of what she said that night, she was intoxicated to the point she needed to be carried and she was getting sick. She could not give consent. So whether she said yes or no is irrelevant she didn't have to say no the state she was in meant no it spoke for itself the police investigated the case for a year apparently now i don't have the police's statement on this right so what i'm getting is from articles a lot of what the parents said um i have no reason not to believe them but this is the side of the story that they're giving at no point did the police seize the boys cell phones question the boys involved directly, or seize any of their laptops. They did question a lot of the students that were sort of on the periphery of the situation, so maybe hadn't gotten the photo or had heard the story. In the end, they concluded that it was a he said, she said case, despite the fact that there was a picture showing what happened. According to them, the picture didn't show her face clearly, 
I was, I read an article once, I think it was in the Atlantic that spoke about having, um, to reform the court system, the justice system, there should be an entire separate division that deals with sexual assault and sexual crimes. And they explained it. I won't go into great detail, but it, it made so much sense because of the main reason being that is that it, you immediately assume that the person, the victim is lying or not being truthful. And Ritea continued to be bullied at school. She'd been called all sorts of names. There were students at school that were telling her that she should kill herself. Some that would actually be physically violent with her, pushing her around, trying to goad her into starting fights. And it all became too much for her. She tried to hang herself. Her parents, trying to help, brought her to the IWK hospital for inpatient treatment. Her father says in the documentary that things got much worse after this. During her time in the IWK, she was stripped and locked into kind of like solitary confinement, like left on her own for about 24 hours. Ritea says that there were men present when she was stripped down. The hospitals denied this. Um, other parents did come forward saying that their child also said that there were men present in this sort of situation and there was a witness that came forward saying that they saw the incident happen um, and that there were men present and she was stripped down because they needed to make sure she didn't have anything dangerous I'm assuming also she may have been you know someone in that state might be sort of aggressive towards themselves most of the time but just to keep her safe so so There are circumstances where this can happen. Um, There should not have been any men present anywhere near her. And I can't, I can, I can imagine a little bit what her parents were going through. Like, I've been in that situation where you have to have someone hospitalized. And when you finally get them into the hospital, you have this feeling of relief where it's no longer on your shoulders, they're safe, they're with the professionals. And I think her parents were kind of getting that feeling like, okay, she's going to get the help she needs now. She was in the hospital for five weeks. When she was released, she said herself she was still feeling suicidal. She was directed to an outpatient drug rehab program for continued care, despite the fact that she did not have a drug problem. So at this point, the police and probably the Crown as well, because it's not really the police's decision, um, they conclude that there'd be no no charges of assault or pornography for the photo that had been circulated. Not even for pornography, even though they knew... I feel like that would be something that you could trace where with the IPs and with... Ritea took this very hard, because I think she felt like if the boys were charged... I don't like calling them boys... They weren't adults yet, yeah. so the teenagers. Yeah. Like, I feel like boys is just trying to strip away the fact that they had the any ability to, yeah. yeah. I think she felt like if they were charged, she'd be vindicated in the sense like, okay, now people will know what I'm saying is true, and she didn't even get that. She tried to go back to her old high school because she had transferred several times at this point, but it just followed her everywhere she went. The high school refused to take her back. They said, if you transferred out, you can't come back. And her mother said, well, you know the circumstances of what happened. Didn't matter. She wasn't allowed back. Ritea was victimized 
over and over again. In April of 2013, she locked herself in the bathroom one night and hung herself. Her mother picked the lock and opened the door. They performed CPR and she was rushed to the hospital, but her parents were told that she wouldn't make it. In her grief, Ratea's mom went home and wrote a Facebook post. The post went viral. There's a lot of things that happened at this point, and many people who followed the case will know this, but after some time, the group Anonymous got involved and tried to get justice for Ratea. They threatened to release the name of the teenagers that had assaulted her. Her, I believe it was Ratea's mother, who asked them not to. She didn't want any vigilante justice. She just wanted justice. Real justice. And Anonymous came back saying they wouldn't out of respect for her mother. But they basically told the police to kind of get their act together and do something. One of the teenagers that was involved in the assault became scared for his safety at this point because her story was gaining more traction, more attention. People were talking about it. Um... He actually wrote a Facebook post to Ritea's mother and basically confessed what he had done. And I think like they read excerpts from it on the documentary and it almost sounds to me like he's saying, this is what happened. Like there was nothing wrong. It really feels like he doesn't realize he's confessing. And what her parents are saying is that it, everything she said, it just, it was basically all there corroborating The RCMP ended up reopening the case, but according to a statement that they released, it had nothing to do with Anonymous, but for other reasons, they reopened the case. I mean, at this point, I don't care why they reopened the case. It's just that it should be open. Two of the teenagers involved were charged with distributing child pornography. I I think they got, like... Probation or something. Yeah, it wasn't much. I... Honestly, I probably should have more details since we're doing an episode about this, but it was, it's very frustrating to read about these things. And at one point, like some of the details, I just couldn't focus on too much. Ratea's parents have been huge advocates for their daughter's memory and for getting justice for their daughter. They've received threats and lewd messages just for trying to honor their daughter's memory. According to Wikipedia, in August 2013, Nova Scotia passed a law to help people that were victims of cyberbullying seek help and protection. But the law was really, like, it was drafted very quickly. It was very broad. It was quashed in the Supreme Court about two years later. But that was replaced with another law. Um, It's called the Intimate Images and Cyber Protection Act. I think that was passed in 2017. 2017. Sorry, I just need to... I find that is part of the systemic problem is that we're playing catch up, right? Mm-hmm. So why is it that our judicial system isn't... And I don't think for a minute that she's the only one. I was going to include the case of Amanda Todd in this as well, but I needed to like step away from it for a bit. We might cover her separately at a later date, but it was something similar that happened to her and she took her own life. Um, And there's many more examples of that. In this case, there was the question of insufficient evidence um, that was brought up time and time again in cases of rape and sexual assault. 
But we talked about this a little bit earlier. Why is it always that the victim is assumed to be lying? Why is that the burden of proof? Prove to me that you're not lying. It shouldn't be the victim's job. It should be the police's job to prove anything. And I understand again, like the law says innocent until proven guilty. But in this case, it can't be looked at that way. It just doesn't work. As women, we live in, I don't want to exaggerate, but in almost constant fear of that happening because it's a possibility. And then when it happens, we're treated, we're slut-shamed, we're blamed, we're put through a system that is so unfair and it re-traumatizes. And I think the most important thing, and it's, it's starting to happen, I think the Me Too movement nudged it forward a little bit I have thoughts about how much but I think a little bit I think I put it in it brought it a little bit more into the to the limelight I think it also it validated it in a way that these are very the Me Too movement started with very famous publicly known figures and I think to me it kind of sent the message of like this is how rampant it is mm-hmm. because these, these women seem like they're, they're untouchable, right? Like they're celebrities, they're successful, they're, they seem so, you know, independent and powerful. And you, when you hear of the, the different stories and how the, how the Me Too movement really started, I think it became something so much bigger and meaningful. It just, to me, it's like, okay, it's, I think it made a lot of people stop and think. I think you're right. I think it started a conversation and it needs to be talked about more. Consent needs to be discussed. And it's so much more than no means no. So we have to discuss the notion of consent. We need to talk about it over and over again. Someone who's drunk, someone who's on drugs, someone who's very upset, they cannot give you consent. And there's also the whole notion that we discussed about slut-shaming women um, about the number of partners they've had, and but then high-fiving guys because of the number of partners they have. As long as everyone is consenting, there is no harm. As long as everyone's okay, as long as everyone's of age, like, there is no harm. Do what you want. But again, everyone needs to be consenting. If you found this episode difficult to listen to and you need to talk to someone, make sure to reach out to friends and family, uh, Remember that even when times get really hard for you, your loved ones want to support you. And I think when things get really dark in our head, we sometimes forget that and kind of isolate. If you need to contact someone outside friend and family, there is a crisis hotline in Canada. The number is 833-456-4566. And you can also text START to 741741. Please take care of yourselves and your mental health. So I found this really difficult to talk about. I hope this episode is listenable. Um, I don't know what else to say here. Yeah. Ritea's death wasn't in vain. No, I don't think so either. People remember her. Mm -hmm. When you say her name, it invokes emotion. Um, It invokes action. A lot of people got behind the family, but there are still people who really are not and are behaving 
in very awful ways towards them. I think we need to remember her. I think we need to respect the parents. And her parents, again, like they're such strong advocates. Well, I know, like she's definitely not forgotten. So we're going to finish on a lighter note with our moment of kindness like we always do. We recently had a bit of a snowstorm here and it happened mostly overnight. So the next morning I had to head out to work really early. Um, We had shoveled the night before, which is good because I don't think I would have gotten out of the driveway. I don't know how much snow we got, but it was quite a bit here more than in the city. Oh, because I would say in the city we got like 30 centimeters. I shoveled before going to bed as well and the next morning I shoveled like another 15 centimeters yeah. there was a lot it of drifted snow. quite a bit here yeah. as well oh, and so it was a little winds. hard to yeah. say but I managed to get out of the driveway and I plowed down our side street and when I say plowed down that's really what happened in my little itty bitty car but when I got to the end of the road to go on to like the main drag the plow had gone by so everything was piled up and you cannot see what the traffic that's coming because there's trees there so I couldn't just like power through I I don't know how many listeners have snowy situations but like you just gun it usually (laughs) and hope for the best but I couldn't do that so like I kind of went forward a little bit and as soon as I could see I gunned it but my car got stuck of course so usually in that situation you kind of rock back and forth or you back up go forward but I just I couldn't move so I got out of the car and I have this little retractable shovel so I started shoveling out the tires Um, But luckily, a good Samaritan pulled over, and despite it being windy and cold and 5 o'clock in the morning, he stepped out to give me a push. It was a very small push. Like, he literally, like, leaned against the car, and it went forward. Again, I drive a very small car. Um, But a big thanks to him for stopping at 5 o'clock in the morning and pushing my car out of a snowdrift. Oh, my God. That is the... I've been in those situations where I'm like, okay, I know I can get out of this. It's going to be a lot of work. I'm going to be soaked. I'm going to be like a mess by the time I get to work. But like, I know I can deal with this. But then when you see someone else arrive, you're just like, oh God, thank you. I am so happy to see you. (laughs) You just made it a little bit easier. And it just makes your, it warms my heart to think like, there's such kindness still in the world of like, you saw me, you stopped Thank you. I think you see it during snowstorms a lot. In Um, the Maritimes. In the Maritimes, you see people's kindness come out. I like to think everywhere. Everywhere you do a little bit. But thank you to that particular person who stopped. That's very kind. Um, I'd also like to thank everyone who's been listening. The last few episodes have been really heavy ones. So I'm going to do something a little bit more lighthearted next week. I actually don't know exactly what I'm going to be doing. So if you have suggestions, please feel free to send them. Um, Our Instagram is Crime and Mystery Canada, and that's the name of our Facebook group as well. You can also write us at crimeandmysterycanada at gmail.com. If you have time, we'd love it if you gave us a review and a rating. I hope everyone enjoys their holidays, no matter which one you celebrate. Have fun, be safe, and have a good night. Good night, everyone. (laughs) 